Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a new podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. In this episode, Jonathan interviews author and nonprofit runner Carlos Rodriguez. And in this conversation, they speak about the Lynchburg revival, generational divides, and they share stories about crossing lines that Christians often don't cross because in the message of Jesus, there are no lines. Enjoy. Wow. Thank you guys so much for coming. I really do. uh, And I can't say this strongly enough. I love this church. I love this community. I believe in you guys and in what you're doing and who you are. I've had one of the best days I've had in a very long time. Uh, Justin was very kind. We went to the movies, to the, the new theater. Is that, is that, that making you sound like you're slacking? He was entertaining. He was entertaining his guests. So this was this part of the pastoral portfolio. But we went to the movies. What was the name of the film? Uh, Quiet Place. Quiet Place. Oh. So gr- oh, it was fantastic. What a brilliant movie. So that was great. I've had good chocolate and this is uh and now to get to hang out with you guys and i hope it's okay that i say this but i call you one of my best friends i hope you're all right with this you'll own this it's uh, carlos is one of these people like you just i don't mean this in a way like there's a self-congratulatory way of like calling yourself unique and i don't mean it like that at all i legitimately think because my upbringing and some of my experiences i am actually just i am a weird bird and I don't often feel seen and known the way that the first time I met Carl, I was like, oh, <laughs> someone understands me. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like, yes, we speak in tongues, but other things. Yeah. <laughs> speak in tongues together, cuss yeah. together, yeah. talk about the NBA together. Yes. Like, there's just all that you can't, you can't do them all with the same people at the same time. But I'd love to, I wanted the vibe tonight to be, because like I did a little podcast uh, before my last little incarnation, it was short lived where Carlos was a guest, and we did more like the origin story thing. The only thing I told him about tonight was that rather than going through all of that, because sometimes like if you've seen enough superhero films, no matter who it is, you think, oh, man, I wish we didn't have to do the 40-minute origin story first. I I said, I want us to have like the kind of conversation we actually have, and just, if y'all are cool with this, just kind of throw you in the middle of it, and let's just talk about the kind of stuff that we... We talk about. Oh, is that all right with you? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> By the way, I do want to say just because he's got it here. In addition to being a, a, a great, great preacher, Carlos is one of my favorite preachers. He's a great writer. Um, his new book, Drop the Stones, is so good. And, and if for no other reason, buy it for the forward. You got that's that's a dynamic. It's an incredible dynamic forward. Forward. incredible forward <laughs> by Jonathan Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really I'm kidding, but the book the book is I mean it's it's amazing. I bought this book for so many people, and I can't Thank recommend you. it strongly enough. But I just. I love you, and I'm grateful you you're too, here, man. man. Thanks I'm for so glad out. to be. And to repeat, echo your words about this church. Come on, Justin. You're, you guys are killing it, they honestly. Are, you guys are doing an amazing job. And to be, I feel like I'm from Raleigh now. It's been nine years since I've, I've lived here. And to find this community, this oasis, um, the way you do things with excellence and the way that you love people and the way that you, like the table really is open here. A lot of people use that language, but don't actually live it. And you guys are living it. So props to That's Church right. on Morgan. They're living it. Yeah. And like we're they're They are legitimately okay with us here. Yes. But I love it when Justin <laughs> does this whole thing like he did of like, oh, these Legit. guys like they yeah. have, you know, they have they have platforms and these things. And yet that, you know, whenever they 
Whenever mm. we ask, they say yes. I think what might be misunderstood or misinterpreted is that a lot of people legitimately don't like us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh. And mostly in our own like families that we came out of. That's right. Which That's is right. the painful thing. That's right. That's the most painful. Our own people yeah, don't our like own us. People. So we come to this place where we're accepting. It's like, oh man. And they say, like, can you hang out? Like, yeah. Can, Please. Can I hang out all the time? Yeah. Can I stay at your house? Can I live here in Raleigh? Yeah. Can I sleep on your couch? And like, Seriously. And I just don't leave. You know, it's sort of like I do think it's so it's so special here. So Justin, thank you for all your hospitality. Um. So I thought like maybe a good jumping off point. Mm-hmm. We've already said that we might not be able to get through this night without talking about. The NBA a little bit, even, even if sorry guys, even no one's interested. We have to. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought maybe a good jumping off point would be uh, we were just together at the Lynchburg Revival, and Carlos preached there. He powerful, powerful sermon. Moderated a good bit of it as well. Uh, so dynamic with that as he always is. But since we were at the Lynchburg Revival, we mm. haven't talked about it. We haven't decompressed. We no. haven't like. No. I thought that might be just a fun jumping off point because one, I'd really like to know what you think. Um, I'll share just this much without going into the whole story and uh, making this into more of a thing. Like, um, so last fall, I had a little dust up with Jerry Falwell Jr. <laughs> we we as had a bit do. of a tiff, as you, like, as, as you do. Um, I, 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 someone told me it was funny. I was talking to uh, a teenager that I care about who said, "Like, uh, you were well, you were kind of beefing with him on Twitter." And I was like, "Maybe I was beefing with him on Twitter." You know, it's like I, I, which is, I'm not a person that goes around starting beefs. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't have any of the, I don't, I don't write diss tracks, any of that, those <laughs> things. But what had happened, what had happened was Jerry Fall, <laughs> Jerry Fall Jr. says a lot of things. But what kind of it really pushed me and uh, over the the brink at one point was that it was like last fall. He had done a Breitbart exclusive article. Where he was encouraging evangelicals to partner with Steve Bannon to mm-hmm. oust the fake Republicans. Right. The you know, Steve Bannon who at this point I think is so openly identified with a certain kind of white nationalism. Yeah. It more than usual kind of made me lose my mind. So in totally in the heat of a moment, like heat of a moment, like I start firing away on Twitter about this. Like like you like just you've got to be kidding me. And I said, because I know a number of people in and around the Liberty community who don't feel this way, students, faculty, et cetera. Faculty, they can't say that out loud, of course. They're not tenured. A lot of things going on there. Mm -hmm. I said I would love to help initiate some kind of a very peaceful, prayer-oriented action for people that don't feel the same way. And, you know, that was kind of all I said. Well, my friend Amanda from the band Johnny Swim, if you guys know Johnny Swim, Abner and Amanda, they were going to be playing at Liberty the following week. And Amanda said something on Twitter encouraging this like yeah. that she thought it was so that apparently by the way really flagged the liberty people yeah. they started getting freaked out so uh she says and, but anyway at any rate she kind of said like hey we're playing there next week you should come and i got back to tulsa where i live in the moment and it was like uh yeah you know maybe i will come <laughs> and but the thought was all i was going to do was a go to the show support them but with the backdoor kind of thought that I would just get the lay of the land a little bit for whatever. I thought I have some conversations with some people I'd already been talking with. Some students invited me to maybe even do like a little prayer thing. And it's funny because we almost decided to do it off campus. I presumed we would need to. They mm. were under the, the, had the understanding that so long as we did it like on the quad or like in a public area, you know, like more like on a sidewalk, not in a building, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I go to the Johnny Swim show. While I'm at the Johnny Swim show about nine o'clock, mm. I posted on Twitter like, hey, 
handful of us are getting together to pray in like the, you know, in the quad area, whatever. If you want to join us, we'll do that at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, when the show's over, I'm back in Johnny Swim's green room with Abner and Amanda, and the chief of campus police asked me to step outside where they have five armed Liberty police officers. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I never really talked about this, about like the vibe, because yeah. I didn't want to sound like weak or something. Yeah. But I mean, it was definitely intended to bully and intimidate. Yeah. Like there was a real like, it's like, are you John? Yes. Mr. Martin, if you ever step foot on this campus again, this is private property, you will go immediately to jail. You are not welcome here. You're not welcome. And keep in mind, like this was a public show that, you know, ticketed event. I'm there as a guest of the band. Um, Abner is having it out with them. <laughs> so he's incensed. Like, y'all, y'all break into my green room in front of my wife and my kid mm. and take my guests out of the heat. Like, he's upset. Because I think when they saw that, you know, things developing on Twitter, mm. they were afraid Johnny Swim was going to, like, stir up an insurrection on campus, which, of course, mm. they weren't going to do. They were very honoring of everybody. Yeah. So, you know, they, they like, I mean, they, they wouldn't let me even, like, walk to my car or something. Like, I had to, like, wait for campus police to pick me up from the curb and then take me off. They photographed me. I mean, it was wow. really, it was intense. Wow. So I posted about it on social media and the story took on a life of its own. <laughs> and what I thought was going to be like praying with like 15 or 20 students at Liberty turned into like William Barber on MSNBC talking about it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Dr. Barber defending yeah. me on MSNBC. I was like, yeah. what has happened? This is not my life. Yeah. NPR and Newsweek yeah. and like it just it turned to a massive thing. So from there, our mutual friend Shane Claiborne started trying to initiate a dialogue with mm. Jerry Falwell Jr. about these things saying, hey, bro, brother to brother in Christ, we need to have a conversation. No, none of those requests were ever answered. And so finally, Shane and his organization, Brother Christians, decided to put together this event called the Lynchburg Revival. How would you even how would you describe the, what the revival is or what what it was intended to be? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole point, what we're trying to do, whoever is trying to do something, is to have a conversation. Yes, it's at least to talk. Um, I grew up in a very, and when I say I grew up in my Christian walk, very conservative. There's certain things you don't talk about, and when you talk about them. Even if you're asking questions, you're already wrong for talking about them, right? So the whole point of going to Lynchburg was let's have a conversation about what this man represents as the leader, as the president of the university with these thousands of students that are coming to get a Christian formation and, of course, education for whatever degree they're, they're getting. But such a voice, national voice, because there's the president with him, inviting him, I love Jerry, Jerry loves me, and there's all this stuff. Let's at least talk about it. Like, nobody's saying it's evil, it's bad. Maybe it's a little bit bad. Little but, bad. <laughs> but let's talk about it. You're one of the prophets of Baal, but that's not to say you're a bad man. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jesus loves you too, but... <laughs> When's that other verse about, you know, give him over to Satan? When do we get to that part, you know? Anyways, so uh, let's talk about it. And let's actually, let's do it in a place, you know, let's do it where the conversation is already happening as opposed to evading the conversation. Let's actually have the conversation. Let's have some students be part of the conversation, which I think was beautiful about the Lynchburg Revival. For my favorite moments, some of my favorite moments was actually hearing from the students. Um, this is me. This is my story, you know? So, it was powerful. It was long. It was, long. It was goodness. Long it was, was long. first night of service. Five and a half hours. Five and a half hours service. It was really something. Uh, that was long. That was long. 
But we had a great. It was so interesting because like we did have Liberty students, and we had this whole. I think a lot of my sense, the reason I even pursued uh, any of that to begin with is that, I mean, one, Liberty is, uh, so far as I know, yeah. the largest Christian institution for higher learning yeah. in North America. They're yeah. tremendously powerful and they have great influence. And whether we like it or not, yeah. uh, maybe I, maybe a lot of us would say Jerry Falwell Jr. doesn't speak for us, but ostensibly he does to the world yeah. he does 100 Jerry Falwell Jr. and Franklin yeah. Graham yeah. get the calls all the time and when you represent those kind of large Christian spaces and Falwell Jr. I would say too has been like um I don't know he he he's so explicitly shielded for the president on everything he's the guy that defends the stuff nobody else nobody defends. else does yeah. after the Charlottesville both sides equivocation mm. I don't know hardly any evangelical leaders who went in front of the cameras yeah. and defended that except Jerry Falwell except, Jr. Yeah, yeah. so what happens is that Lynchburg has kind of become ground zero for a certain kind of voice and I think mm. what a lot of us were feeling is like okay what would it look like to have a counter narrative here yeah. where if we don't believe that this represents what we see happening in the broader body of Christ what would just with the hope and prayer that Lynchburg could be known for that, and yeah. that it could change the conversation, change the very character of that story? Yeah, and I and I I was happy to say yes from the get go, knowing that there would be issues from many sides sure. because of what you're saying. For most people, so when I am outside of my church bubble, for most people they do represent Christianity, and as soon as I say Christian pastor, Christian nonprofit, whatever, they're already going Franklin Graham. Jerry Fowler Jr., they're, they're going that way. So it's necessary to say, actually, there's this other side. There's this other story. There's this other narrative. There's these other voices, these other people. We might not have a massive university, but we have a sense of what Jesus meant, and we're trying to live that out. Yeah. And maybe it's just different to what Jerry is talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So we had absolutely. to do it. Well, and I think, you know, and, and it wasn't all um, anything negative with liberty. I mean, mm -mm. I, we both know so many yeah. students and faculty there who are wonderful people. I think that's part of the concern, though, is yeah. that this person doesn't even speak for his own university that's in that right. way. That's but because right. they're not tenured and they're heavily policed in what they can or cannot say to media, crazy. again, the world doesn't know that. So yeah. trying to just create some kind of space. And yeah. But, I mean, it just... Even to that, uh, you know, when Sh Shane's invitations for dialogue there got met with a similar authoritarian response, mm -hmm. is that is that they he gets a letter from the chief of police, Shane Claiborne, step on campus, twenty five hundred dollar fine, one year in jail. Yeah, I mean, it was very much like so they weren't playing. Mm -mm, they weren't. <laughs> How playing. did you feel about the actual experience of the revival? Like, what are your just reflections yeah, on no, what was, happened there? It really was great. It was almost like the quality of the people that were there was so incredible. It was like this lush meal, and you're overly full. You're just gonna keep eating because it's just too good not to eat, and it's—I'll turn everything into food just so you guys are aware. Uh, it, it really was. It was this delicious meal, and it was almost like I'm gonna take a break for the next 20 minutes, but then this other person's coming. It's like, oh, I need to hear this. So the the content was very rich. It was very good. Um, no doubt about it. As a charismatic Pentecostal, when I hear the word revival. I hear a lot more noise than what we experience there. So, right, I'm, I'm used to yeah. revival means movement, running. There's always that lady that runs around in the circle, and yes. you know, I, which could happen still here tonight. Oh, if come on, feels so where, where are you? Where are you at? We wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't stop anybody. No. We won't enter the spirit. <laughs> and so, yeah. So obviously, the the interpretation even in that is different from your starting point, whether you're evangelical, Pentecostal, et cetera, et cetera. Not about you. Some people from my tribe had criticism of the fact that we were using the language the, of revival. The, we were using the language revival that felt too political for them to be using it. But it was the right thing to do. Again, 
I come from a broken background, a broken family, that as broken as we were, we just had to talk it out. Yeah. We were forced to, you know, head on. This is what's happening. It's obvious that there's legitimate issues with Christianity in America. It's obvious that there's camps, that there's lines that the Trump era have created where it used to be kind of like, I know you're kind of conservative, I know you're kind of liberal, but whatever. It's so obvious now. It's like, you stand here, I stand here. I think it's a blessing in disguise, as weird as it is to say that. At least we know where people stand. Yeah, that's right. I really know what Jerry thinks. I really know what you think. And I really know what Barbara stands for. And now, now that it's been defined, well, let's talk about it. That's right. That's Please, right. let's talk about it. And even as you talk about how polarized our times are, and it is a uniquely polarizing time, some, one thing I thought about the revival was, and, and I have, and to be fair, I thought mm. most of the coverage I read was actually very positive. It was, yeah. But of some mm. of the things that were more negative, I thought it was really hilarious where people tried to paint it as this highly partisan event that was mm. negative. Because I, I don't know when I've been in a space where I felt there was more, there was a lot of love there. There so was a lot love. of tenderness there. So much. There was no hate in the air. There was not ugly rhetoric like it just I, I definitely feel like you know critics wanted to paint us that way in a way that just was not true to the yeah. spirit of anything that was happening one of my favorite times during the revival was an african-american man who spent many years in prison oh, and he was brought onto the stage to share about his experience of coming out of prison how that is and you know systemic racism and the prison system and all that and he's just sharing gospel right He's just a preacher. He's literally, he's got his Bible under his armpit and he's got the microphone and he's just like, and Jesus saved me and he did so many great things. And then the guy who's interviewing him phenomenally asked him, and what about, what did Jerry um, Fowler Sr. did for you? Where Mr. Fowler, he was the one who gave me a job when nobody else would give me a job. Well, he it was, was a chef at what, like the little restaurant. He was town. a chef at a little restaurant. He ended up, it was beautiful to hear the follow fam family being honored for the godly parts, the godly things that they have done. Yeah. Um, so it really was way more love than people assumed it would be, yeah. I think. No, so that was my favorite part. And hearing you up there, hearing some of the students up there, and then obviously hearing William Barber up there. One of the conversations Jonathan and I have had a few times is it's almost like we're missing those national figures yeah. that we can all get behind. And we're not going to agree maybe on even half of it, but we're going to agree so much on the one half that we're going to like, if there's a march, if there's a movement, if there's a Lynchburg revival, I don't care about the title. I don't care about, I just want to be there. Yeah. And I really feel like he's one of those people yeah. that we're kind of missing the moment that he's giving us in that sense to rally behind him. He, I think he absolutely is the closest thing we've got to an heir to yeah. the legacy of Dr. Dr. King, King in so many ways. Sure. I was just with him Friday for the Poor People's I Campaign rally in Nashville, which is amazing. Um, but to what you said, yeah. and we had this conversation a little bit backstage at the rival very first night, and yeah. this is the kind of stuff we talk about all the time. Yeah. Um, it is such a polarizing time, and you said what you did about how it's hard to find a galvanizing figure yeah. where there could even be enough agreement to say, we're going to go with you on this thing. Let's do it. And I think part of what unites us and, and that we struggle together with all the time is that we, you know, Carlos and I both have a very Pentecostal, charismatic mm -hmm. background. We have roots in a certain kind of tradition, and we love those people, and we love where we, where we come from. Yeah. So there's no desire to, like, burn anything down or, like, throw up the middle finger. Like, that's not... 
we like we love and honor where we come from. But mm -hmm. it's also true that sort of our journeys of following Jesus has led us into some different spaces to care about some different things than we probably did at one point in our lives yeah. and has led at times to a certain degree of, if not outright alienation, sometimes at minimum tension yeah. with those communities. So we're living in this place where, you know, we want to, we want to carry people along with us, but that's not always easy to do. And um, it's like, there's right now a lot of ideological purity on both sides. That's one of the things we're saying is that yeah. like, you know, coming from where we come from, where everything was so conservative, for lack of a better phrase. Mm -hmm. And now, oh, good, now we're among people where we can talk about mercy and justice, and we could talk about prison reform, we could talk about immigration, and these things yeah. that we think are, are Christian convictions, yeah. or climate change, whatever. Like, we really care about how these things affect the world's poor. But then finding, like, oh, there's an ideological purity on the left that is just <laughs> as rigid. And wow, you guys can be a nightmare <laughs> on this side. You know, like it's as fundamentalist as anybody we've yeah. met. So, yeah. but, but to take this to a question, because Carlos, I talk about this everywhere. I talk about Carlos. I, it is somebody, somebody was just, I don't remember who it was, one of my friends saying, you and yeah. Carlos have a real bromance going. I was yeah. like, it is a bromance. Legit it is bromance. kind of a bromance. Yeah. Legit but bromance. The, the, one story I tell about you all the time, because this has marked me. Like I, yeah. since you told me this story, I've probably thought about it literally once a day, mm -hmm. <laughs> at least. Uh, Carlos, I, I would love you if you just maybe yeah. hit a pivot point here. If you could just tell that story about how yeah. a mentor of yours from within your own tradition mm -hmm. gave you this word that I think, I mean, there's, it's so self-aware, it's so powerful, and to me just kind of speaks to the tension that we're living in right now. Yeah. Could you tell that story? Yeah, yeah, he spoke to today. He spoke to 2018. So long story short, I was in Toronto, Canada, um, for those of you more aware of kind of charismania, um, we had the Toronto blessing starting in 94. And it was literally, at that time, they were the progressive people. Because at that time, there were all these Baptists, Pentecostals, Catholics coming together at this church in Toronto. It was the number one tourist attraction in the city of Toronto for four years. More people came to the city of Toronto to go to church than anything else. They would have lines outside from 6 a.m. for the 7 o'clock service. Very charismatic Pentecostal, and a lot of negative stuff came out of it, no doubt about it. And there were good reasons for that stuff to be said. Um, but it really was, at its purest level, it was just Christians who were like, okay, I guess you're God and we're not. So take over. Whatever's happening, you're in charge. And, and the, the second thing that they did so well was not just say, okay, God, you're doing something. It was like, when we know you're not doing something, we're still going to make space for humans to be humans. Yeah. And there, we know there's emotion. We know there's flesh. But we're just going to make space for people to be together. And that was such a beautiful thing. So that happened in 94. I'm there in 2000. I do their school of ministry. I go through the whole program, internship. And I end up being a spiritual son to the head pastor, Pastor John Arnott. Him and his wife, Carol amazing beautiful people and on my last day with pastor john this is a story that um, jonathan's referring to on my last day with him traveling the world i mean when i was a nobody i'm, I'm 22 years old nobody's heard of me my english is broken i mean I, I maybe know two bible verses again i come from a very broken back. he's taking me all over the world there's four thousand people waiting to hear pastor john he's like carlos you have a word for them. And he would just hand me the mic and sit at the front row with his big belly and just look at me with a smile. And I just had to go for it, right? This is a man that so empowered me and loved me through it, et cetera, et cetera. And on my last meeting with him, as I am doing kind of like my exit interview, I'm moving back to Puerto Rico, wanting to plant the church there. 
This is 2004, early 2004. He says to me, Carlos, one day you're going to call me and you're going to tell me everything that God is doing in your life. And that day, son, I'm going to tell you that's not God. And when, I, and when you hear me say that's not God, I want you to know that that is God. And I want you to go for it. That's the moment that you've entered into the next move of God. We're big into the whole, the next wave, the next move, the next fire, the next something, right? We're, yeah, the next anointing. We're big into that. So in his mind, he understood because of his own experience, when in 94 things started happening in Toronto, his closest confidence, his friends, people that have done ministry and life with him had called them to say, that's not God. And that's how he knew I have to push through because when God does something out of the box, it just, we, we, we talk about the new wine in our world. When, when it's new, you literally don't know what new is. You can call it, you can try to frame it, but usually you just literally don't know what it looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like, what it tastes like, like a new flavor, like a new experience, like a new relationship. You just don't know. So he said those words. I remember them. I mean, it was a deep moment when he said, you'll call me, you'll tell me what God is doing in your life. I'll tell you it's not God. Son, you'll know that day. You just have to keep going. I have no idea where, what kind of space he's in now, but like yeah. in that moment, the level of self-awareness in Incredible. that. Incredible. When the day comes that I tell you yeah. that's not God, yeah. no, that's God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. That's an incredible thing yeah. because, see, I think. And wait, of- just so you know, we've had that conversation. And he said, it's not God. He has said since, it's <laughs> yeah. not God. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, and this is kind of shifts a little bit to the moment that we're in. I mean, I mm. feel like, I, okay, so I don't have biological children, but in our kind of more charismatic way, yeah. like everything that I've sensed from the Holy Spirit, things that people I trust have told me, like, they keep being these words about fatherhood. Yeah. And it's interesting because they're like something shifted in my own heart. Because everywhere I go, I feel like I'm around these young, disillusioned sons and daughters of the church who are in deep despair, yeah. feel like they're on the margins of their own community, are leaving their own faith communities. For, for and I good reasons. Like this, yeah, for good reasons. For good reasons. I mean, reasons. they Legitimate leaving reasons. because they have integrity. How yeah. ironic is that? Yeah. People are like, oh, that's so yeah. awful. You would leave church. I'm like, yeah. no, sometimes it's what integrity looks like, you know? That's right. And I have such a sense of calling to them and connection to them. And there's, uh, I don't know, there's some, some, something God's doing in, in that space for me, but just grappling with this whole thing because it's like, uh, well, I'll put it like this. We, uh, and I don't want to make this just about one particular tribal expression, mm-hmm. but um, for people who do come out of, okay, so my background is a little bit, I call myself a hillbilly Pentecostal. We were, I get these kind of rural Pentecostals I came from on more like, this is a real technical distinction, but kind of in the charismatic community, which kind of is another strain mm-hmm. of the movement. Mm-hmm. There are all these generations, I don't think I'd, I'd even feel bad to say these out loud because I don't think I'm smearing them right now, yeah. but uh, Bethel Church in yeah. Redding, California, or if you think about Morning Star, Rick yeah. Joyner's ministry, et cetera. Yeah. I'm watching this phenomenon in those camps in particular because one of the beautiful things about the charismatic movement historically is I feel like just like what happened with you, they do provide space for young people to find things for their gifts. We'll give platform room for the arts. Other yeah. traditions don't. Yeah. So, and, and combined with that, I would say if there's been anything revelatory in the charismatic movement in about the last 25 or 30 years, yeah. I feel like it's been on this emphasis of the father heart of God right. and the goodness of God. Right. Okay. So now what I'm watching happen is this whole generation of folks who are now in their 20s and 30s and younger who have come up in these churches and this is a more recent song and pat barrett who wrote it's my friend but like mm. 
uh, they're singing songs like Good, Good Father. Mm -hmm. And the constant message is the goodness of God, the goodness of yeah. God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the fatherhood of God. Justin Bieber last night at, what do you call, say that, Coachella? Coachella, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was singing that Reckless Love one. Oh, was oh, he really? Oh, the overwhelm. Yeah. Wow, I, that's, I, I, I just read that he awesome. did some kind of worship. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you've got a whole generation that's, like, being raised on that. And they and And they believe it. They do. So now what's happening, though, is that the same people who have given them this revelatory message on the love of God and the goodness of God have doubled down yeah. in terms of partisan conservative politics yeah. and they've rallied around Trump and they've uh, they're odd they take odd positions on like in, like in Bethel's case yeah. they're real serious about guns which makes no sense to me yeah. uh, given anything else about their culture yeah. and the sons and daughters of that movement are like but wait wait a minute what what about what mm. about the good, good father? And we don't f see that in our own movement that we're showing the goodness of God to this people group or to that people. Well, yeah, what are we going to do with this? It's the right. So I'm, I'm, there's a rift happening, I, yeah. I feel like, yeah. where people are like, they, they have received these things from spiritual fathers and mothers that are good, mm. and they actually want to steward those gifts faithfully. Mm -hmm. But to do that means acting in the present in a way that people that have been influential in the past are going to say, Son, you're rebelling. That's right. You misunderstand. You don't get it. That's and right. I'm, I feel like so many people are struggling. Are you seeing yeah. that too? People in that place? Yeah. It's what I've understood it to be is the right message, but for the wrong audience. Mm. So it was the right message of the love of God, but the audience was the conference that then gets the other conference and then the other conference. And, we're, and, and it's just the same people consuming the same message. Yeah. And eventually it developed these songs for those conferences and those events, yeah. for that audience. So it was 100% the right message. The message of Father, I mean, because of Toronto taking me all over the world, I've been exposed to so many cultures, traveled so many places, and in every place I know the appropriate message is tell them about God the Father. Sure. It works every time. Sure. In, in, in every context, wherever you go, it's definitely the message. I ha I've had more, the most fruitful, events, ministry, meetings, missions, whatever, in high schools, in prisons, it's been the message of the Father. Yeah. So I know it's the right message. The problem is it was the same people consuming that same message. And eventually it's like, yes, he is so good to me, yes. Yes. to me. And we like Jesus saving me. We don't like Jesus saving them. And we like the Jesus, we like the God of the New Testament for ourselves. We like the God of the Old Testament for them over there. I'll right? take so, Romans, you take Leviticus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's this like... We, we fell, and it's just human nature, right? It's tribes. We, we create these tribal mentalities, and eventually the tribe that has the right markings with the right names and the right God and the right style and the right music, and we belong to this tribe, eventually that other tribe is close enough to our area that they're dangerous as opposed to, you know, maybe we're one tribe together. So that, that was 100% my experience. The right message transformed my life, my family. Again, I've said it, come from such a broken family. They, Toronto people came to Puerto Rico before I went to Toronto, and they stayed at my parents' house. My dad's not even a Christian. And this lady called Heather Jackson, who's one of my dearest friends, did our wedding, just a beautiful lady. She looked at my dad and she said, I, I, I feel like God was standing behind you and you were young. And I, it was like there was a man on the floor and you're young and there's God standing behind you. My dad collapses on the floor. He's bawling his eyes out because when he was 13 years old, he found his father dead. Mm. 
And he saw, it was like this little shack where my grandpa, unfortunately, he was drunk. Unfortunately, he was very poor. He had no shoes on. The floor was wet. He was trying to change a fuse box. He had no clue what was going on. He died. My dad finds him. This woman has this kind of like, I feel this. And my dad is on the floor bawling his eyes out. My mom cried for a week because their lives were completely transformed. And it was all through hugs and love and this caring and this. And I, I moved to Toronto because of that moment. I was like, I want to do that to other people. Whatever she did to my dad, I want to learn how to do that. And, but, but again, it was all in the context of a conference of an event where people are paying for that anointing, where people are paying for that message. And in a bizarre way, the fact that you're paying for that message, it makes it exclusive to the people that can pay for that message. And it's just, it created this whole thing. It's for the church. Let's, not even for the church. It's for the specific brand of church. Not even for that specific brand of church. For the people that really look like us inside of that specific brand of church. Yeah. So it went from here to here. And as you're saying, there's a whole generation that wants, it's like, they, we got the message. It belongs here. That's such an insightful critique to me. The idea that like the message is right, but when it becomes internalized, mm -hmm. It's me and mine, not yeah. for them. Because yeah. like um, this, this might seem overly simplistic, but it's so flip the script for me. Mm. If if the story of the New Testament, if like the central story really is, you know, um, well the way my friend Chris Green puts it, and what God does through Christ coming to Earth, the cross, all that, that God God would rather God would rather not be God than be God without us. That's right. Like like Christ giving up yeah. his place yes. for the sake of the other. Like that to me yes. seems to be the central story of the New Testament. God revealed in Christ giving up his own place for the sake of the other. That's it. So then even when you hear this wonderful message, a revelatory message mm -hmm. of grace and mercy and God's you know, endless compassion. Which has affected outside of charismatic Pentecostal, it has affected Christendom oh, all over the world. Absolutely. There's so much talk of God as love, yes, way more everywhere. than the 80s or the 70s. Oh, like, it's, it's like a, there's a seismic shift, yeah. you know? I think there's... Yeah. A, that's, that's Which is great. Oh, totally. Yeah. But like when that becomes... But when you don't... But when the weight of that sentence doesn't land on the other, that's right. <laughs> and this is all what Christ has done for me. Makes I, no that's sense. so good. There are a couple things, and I want to have a little time for some back and forth, some Q&A with you guys, so I want to get there, but two... One thing I have to ask you in that spirit, mm -hmm. um, in your book, Drop the Stones, I love the whole book. I can't recommend it strong enough for people to listen to the podcast. Please go get it. But I tell you, 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 you open that book with a story of you preaching in a prison that if, if nobody reads any further than that, that yes. story for me is worth the price of admission. Like yeah. I love that story so much. And even talking about, yeah. and we, I think this will still you know, connect with some of the broader themes, but... Um, even talking about God's love and God, the, mm. that that story to me is is just is electric yeah. and so be, would you mind telling them yeah. that story? To. I feel like I'm using Carlos like yeah. it's a story jukebox. Yeah. No, no, no. Why, why don't you tell them about? Story. <laughs> yeah. So I was in Puerto Rico. I was um, ministering at a prison. A chaplain just kind of made room for me. Again, long story short, I'm on my second meeting. I have about a hundred. 80 to 90 guys in the room. And I feel very much into the God is love. I feel like that message is mine. I mean, my first book, Simply Sonship, is all about God as Father, um, the loving, tender arms of God, all that sort of stuff. I, I own it, I live it. And I'm preaching to this crowd, uh, maximum security prison, orange jumpsuits, looking at me like, we hate you. You know, like it was hot and muggy. And 
I was not doing well. You know, as a preacher, when you're not doing well and you know it's not going well, and you know people know it's not going well, it's the worst. And you're in prison, so there's nobody bringing you in your bottled water. Your mouth, it's like, oh my God. There's no, you know, there's no sack with the guitar in the background making you feel better with some worship. It's just dry, brutal, terrible. And I felt God speak to me. And I usually identify when it's God speaking to me because he's way kinder than me. He's way more intelligent. He's always outside of my boxes. Sometimes I'm driving with a friend and I feel God say, like, tell them you love them. You guys ever had that? Like, you're like, like now? Like, that's weird. Like, tell them you love them. It must be God because it's so uncomfortable for me. Sometimes I'm having a conversation with somebody and I feel whether you call it God or your conscience or whatever, I have that voice. Like, look at them in the eyes. Tell them that they matter. I'm like, what, right now? No, it just, and I had that. I'm preaching, and I'm, I'm capable because of my ADHD. I'm capable of having a conversation or even preaching and be in a completely different world. I could be knocking it out of the park with the gospel, and my brain is like, I think LeBron's just really struggling emotionally. <laughs> like, I think that's why they lost last night. I could totally do that. It's insane. I thought about, I, I was concerned about the thunder. I preached three, three times yesterday, <laughs> and all day I was so concerned about the thunder. It was happening all at the same time. I'm like concerned about the game, kind of praying they for turn them, on the switch, preaching baby. to you guys. They turn totally. on the switch. They did. They look good. Anyways, so I'm preaching to this crowd. It's not going well. I'm fully aware of it. My brain is like, and I hear God speaking to me. It's one of those moments. I just know. I can't tell you how I know. It's just this mystery. But he said to me, Tell the men who have sexually abused their daughters that I forgive them. And I was like, no, I'm definitely not saying that. There's no way. Definitely this is not God. Because God wouldn't be stupid. Because if I say that and one of the guys responds, there's this gang in Puerto Rico called Los Nietas. And if you have molested a child in Puerto Rico and you end up in prison and they know about it through, like, the media, you're, I mean, they chop you up. I'm like, of course this is not God. There just can't be God. And number two, more importantly, I don't agree with God. Like, he shouldn't forgive those people. That's where I draw my lines, right? I, I'm the only boy. I have five sisters. Pray for me. I have 11 nieces. Um, I have, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely in love. I'm, I'm married. I love my wife. And just, I started, like, getting angry, like, uh, thinking, oh, there's some freaking sexual predators in here. Like, there's no doubt about it. That's why I had that thought. There's no way God would forgive that. And of course, sometimes I share this story, and I know how much of a trigger it is because of the people that have experienced some terrible things that it's just, it's, it's just brutal. But yet, I'm in front of these people, and God says that. And the third time he said it, I just knew, I'm either going to follow through, or I'm just going to move forward and miss the moment. And it was like, it came out of my mouth. If any of you men have sexually abused your daughters, I want you to know that God forgives you. And I was like, no, come back. I was trying to catch my words to bring them back because it felt so wrong. Even as I was saying it, I was still barely agreeing with what God was saying. And then it was an awkward pause, an awkward moment. My brain is like, oh my gosh, I missed it. The guards are looking at me like, what the freak did you just do? And all of a sudden, a man on the second row stands up and starts screaming, Maria, Maria, perdóname. Maria, I'm assuming, is the name of his daughter. Perdóname in Spanish means forgive me. 
and he collapses on the floor and he is wailing. And all of a sudden, probably the most Holy Spirit, beautiful moment I've ever experienced in my whole life. The guys around him started to come close and lay their hands on him. And it was almost like this message was preached that I didn't have to say with my words. That God created it in that moment. It was like, if God is willing to forgive that, know that about it, he's willing to forgive me. It was almost like he covers all. And again, this is 100% not making any excuses. These guys were in prison. They're paying a price for their sins and their crimes. And there's no doubt there's right now an incredibly important conversation to be had. Um, me too, and even church too. And Ashley's here. Talk to Ashley at the end. Um, she's leading the Courageous Conference. Plug for you. <laughs> um, we have to have those conversations. We have to have, there, there has to be legitimate consequences, legitimate, um, you know, justice needs to be um, attributed to the people that have done wrong. These guys were in prison, they're paying for their sins, and God is saying, in this mess, in your darkest, most disgusting thing, I forgive you. Then another guy from the back stood up and started going like, ah! and then he collapses on the floor. And I had a rule. There were two guards on each side of the, the, you know, between the crowd and me. And they had told me, we are an imaginary line. Do not cross this line. When that guy broke down, I looked at them. They're stunned. And I was like, I'm going in. And I just went right in. And I start walking around. And I start hugging these guys. I'm about to kiss. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, and I, I'm not trying to be dramatic. And I, and I tend to be, but I'm not. Um, I, I think, I think. At least, I'm going to put it to 75% of the men were crying their eyes out. And there was this, it was, like, it was like the heartbeat of God was in the room. And it was just like, I love you, I forgive you, I accept you. And it brought in like legitimate repentance. And that's when I knew, right? The message was right. But I had decided who that message belonged to. And it didn't belong to that guy. And it didn't belong to that other guy. And God as he usually does, is in the moments where I disagree with him the most that he finds me the best. So it was, that day changed everything for me. Because it was, I, I thought I was really like welcoming and then I realized we all do it. It's human nature. And sometimes we have really good reasons to do it. But the grace of God is just beyond. Wherever you draw the line, that always yeah. seems to be what God's doing. Because yeah. we all draw, the, we're all drawing a line. Yes. And it doesn't matter what your politics are, mm. doesn't matter where you are kind of socioeconomically, everybody has somebody they draw the line with. And the moment that you draw your line, yeah. <laughs> then it seems that the Holy Spirit begins to actively conspire yes. to, to, to mess with you. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it, is, it, you know, and it happens. Like when you... When you're to the left of a thing and you can't handle somebody that's to the right of a thing, then God is absolutely going to send somebody like that into your life 100%. and show you what's beautiful in them. Yeah. And, and, and like it just, this might be a weird shift, but I really want to talk about this. And I think there is a, there's a thread here. You know, yes. like you, that story for you, Carlos. And I feel like this, I can say for somebody who is your friend, mm -hmm. like in an offstage kind of capacity, like this is, 
this is who he is. This is who you are. Yeah. Um, you, you do listen to the Holy Spirit, and you try to be obedient to what God gives you to do and to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, you are very much a, a son of your movement and of a particular mm-hmm. people in a particular place. Yeah. And I just know, um, and I bear some of this in my story too, but I'm very cautious in how I talk about it because I know that you have this thing too. Like, I think we're both people who want to honor where we come from and, 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 and furthermore, just don't, wouldn't want to talk in a way like we're not going to play victim yeah. or yeah. martyr or something. Yeah. But I just know, Carlos, that like, without going into details of this, that you, unless you want to, but that's not the point, that you being obedient mm. to that message mm-hmm. and uh, refusing to draw lines where the Lord shows you there's no line. Mm. And the kind, of, the kind of faithful response of you saying what you feel like God gave you to do in that, in that particular story. That's had consequences for you yeah. to listen to the Holy Spirit in that way, yeah. and has meant for you, as I think it has yeah. for me, a certain kind of rejection. And I'm yeah. curious, just as to how you how you, how you're navigating that, how you're navigating, you know, especially when these are relationships with people that you that you have loved and that have loved you and even yeah. loved you well, yeah. and yet knowing, yeah. That it is the spirit of God that's pushing you in this direction. I just love to hear something of how you're, mm, that's good. how you live with that. Yeah. So the first thing I try to do was, okay, my family doesn't want me anymore. So me, I'm trying to process: Do I change my last name, quote unquote? Do I stop being catch the fire? Do I stop being charismatic? Do I stop being Pentecostal? Because my, because that family with that name doesn't want me. And it's as simple as they don't invite me to preach. I used to go to the big conferences, 7,000 people, young conferences, leaders' conferences. There's Carlos. And in a way, token minority, that played into it. So here's a Puerto Rican, um, looks kind of Arab, does a lot of missions in the Muslim world. I mean, it's like, boom. We get him, we cover a lot of bases, right? And... He's mostly preaching what we're saying. So when it comes from him, it really empowers what we're already saying. So I lose all those platforms, I mean, almost immediately. And my first thing was, okay, I'm losing those platforms. Let me find other platforms on the other side. But yet I'm still too conservative for the other side or I'm still too orthodox for the other side. I'm still too into like winning souls and Jesus spoke to me for the other side. So I'm like in this, in this like impossible middle and honestly, how I'm navigating it now is I'm moving to Puerto Rico. Um, how I'm navigating it now is Harvey Houston. And I'm like, you know where Jesus would be. I've been preaching this stuff to sell out crowds. And yet I haven't been doing crap about it. Like, what if, what if that's my platform? The lowest place. The people that are not the right audience. And the wildest thing, when I'm going to Houston, Ecclesia Church in Houston, we're on our way to take them like 400 pounds of potatoes and like water filters, dehumidifiers. I've connected with the pastor. I mean, they're literally waiting for us day three after Harvey. And on our way there, it's impossible to get into Houston. The waters have come down enough that cars are now like daring to go through, but it's not enough. So they're all floating in the highway. It was crazy. So we were, we can't, we can't go. We're in Beaumont, Texas, and I drive past a mosque, and there's that voice again. Mm. 
that I know is God because he's way nicer than me and way more kinder than me and way more outside of the box. I mean, he's like, give it to them. Call them now. I'm like, oh, no. This is for the body of Christ. People gave so this would go to a church. This belonged to Ecclesia. They're good people. They're waiting for this. Whatever we do, God's going to open up the waters. I'm Moses here. God's like, no, you're Jesus. Go to Samaria. And three times, I even ended up calling the mosque. Mustafa picked up the phone. He's a friend now. The Quran tells me, I have to welcome you. Come now. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm following the Quran now. So here we go. So, <laughs> assalamu alaikum, my brothers. I spent three days in the mosque. We gave them everything. We stayed at the mosque, made deep friends. One of the board members of the mosque ended up taking us all across the town. We ended up serving that city, serving that mosque. And so they welcomed us into their prayer meeting. And in their prayer meeting, these are our friends, Carlos and his two brothers, and they represent Jesus. Let's bless them for what they've done. And the men that were there for prayer time could not believe that we used the dehumidifiers that we've bought with our Christian money to dry the carpet so they could have prayer. They couldn't, like, they couldn't process in Texas that Christians were doing that. And they literally welcomed us to the front of the mosque. And these guys, about 300 of them, they start pulling out all the money they have in their pockets. They're throwing it at us. Like, we want to honor Jesus. And they're, like, throwing money at us. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm finding where Jesus is, where I used to preach to my Christian audience what Jesus, you, should, you guys should be out there, you know? And now I'm like, okay, maybe I need to be out there. And I'm having the best time God has been providing for us as a family. We're moving to Puerto Rico because Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. I've been there eight times. We took water filters. We gave clean water to more than 50,000 people. But $100,000 came in from people like you in this room and people like the ones listening to this podcast and I'm like you know the stage is awesome I love it I love preaching with all my heart but there's nothing like being inside of a home where they lost stuff where there's brokenness there's nothing like being in a mosque with people that have never had an interaction like a gentle awesome meal with some Christians there's nothing like being where like nobody else is and just like just doing the stuff so I'm going to follow the voice I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Like an LP, each episode is divided into side A and side B. Side A could be a sermon, a conversation with a guest, but will always introduce some idea. Side B will always be a creative exploration of that idea through music, question answering with listeners, or quirky rabbit trails off of side A for people who want the deep cuts, not just the singles. Please be looking for side B of today's episode with Carlos Rodriguez, where Jonathan and Carlos will finish their conversation and answer some questions from the audience. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and sign up for our email list. Have a good day.